Oh, now. There we go. All right. Uh, Isaiah chapter 23 and verse number one. Those of you joining us online, if you didn't hear what I said, it was because it was about you. All right. <laughs> Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah 23, verse number one. I just say at our church every so often we'll say, uh, as we conclude the service, let's, you know, if you're joining us online, thank you for doing so. And uh, go ahead and turn off the cameras now. There's some things we need to discuss. And uh, they'll turn off the cameras and I'll say, Love you. Good night. And just, just to mess with people. Oh, man. No. Oh, that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would do. The Bible says, Isaiah 23, verse 1, The burden of Tyre, howl, ye ships of Tarsus, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in. From the land of Chittim it is revealed to them, Be still, ye inhabitants of the isle, Thou whom the merchants of Zidon that pass over the sea have replenished. And by great waters the seed of Sihor, the harvest of the river is her revenue, and she is a mart of nations. Be thou ashamed, O Zidon, for the sea hath spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be sorely pained at the report of Tyre. Pass ye over to Tarsus. Howl, ye inhabitants of the isle. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? Her own feet shall carry her afar off to sojourn. Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the honorable of the earth? The Lord of hosts hath purposed it, to stain the pride of all glory, and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. Pass through thy land as a river, O daughter of Tarsus, there is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord hath given a commandment against the merchant city to destroy the strongholds thereof. And he said, Thou shalt no more rejoice, O thou oppressed virgin daughter of Zidon. Arise, Pass over to Chittim, there also shalt thou have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people was not, till the Assyrian uh, founded it for them that dwell in the wilderness. They set up the towers thereof, they raised up the palaces thereof, and he brought it to ruin. Howl, ye ships of Tarsus, for your strength is laid waste. Our title tonight is this, A Picture a picture of pride. A picture of pride. Lord, uh, we rejoice in who you are. Thank you, Lord, for uh, some time spent together in fellowship with some of the men today and pastor today. Lord, uh, uh, good. Lord, when we have you in common, we have much in common. And so that is a tremendous blessing. Lord, would you help us tonight to preach you and, Lord, to preach you uh, as best as a human can, Lord, out of this text. And may we perhaps see ourselves in the text, Lord, in ways we uh, didn't first recognize or think possible. Thank you, Lord, that the Word of God is powerful, Lord, to uh, show us our heart if we'll listen and show us where we really are if we'll observe and, and uh, respond properly tonight. Help us, Lord, in this, in this message, in the delivery and in the receiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A picture of pride. If I were to ask you tonight, what does pride look like? What would be some answers? Let's go ahead and ask. We'll get some responses tonight. What does pride look like? Brother Tim. 
me, all right? A couple of people are pointing at themselves, and I'm not sure if they're being prideful about how prideful that they are. Uh, what, what would be a, an evidence of pride? What would you say? Oh, there, that's pride right there. If I see that, I know it's pride. What, what would that be? Yes, sir. If somebody says, oh, I'm so good at this and this, that would be pride. Yeah, they directly confess, basically. That would be that. Arrogance. What does arrogance look like? I mean, we're pointing back at ourselves again. Pastor. Unable to be taught. That would be a good one. You know, pride is one of those weird things that it's very, very easy to identify it in other people and very, very difficult to identify it in ourselves. Like uh, a pride, is it, is it a, a behavior? Is it a, is it, it's more of an attitude than it is a specific action. Like if you saw somebody doing something, you'd say, well, that's pride, but it's, it's really more how they do it. I guess it's possible to walk in pride or something like that. But for the most part, it's not really something that's done. It's an attitude, and it's super easy to recognize it in other people. I was preaching a youth camp this summer, and I asked that question, and a guy goes, LeBron James. And I would say, yep, that's pretty much right. LeBron James, that would be uh, the example there of pride. It's easy to recognize it in someone else. In verse number 9, God reveals to us a bit of His, his uh, uh, goal or desire from this passage of Scripture. And when He says this, the Lord, have, uh, the Lord of hosts hath purposed it. So this is His purpose for this portion of Scripture. To stain the pride of all glory. To stain the pride of all glory. God wants to put a stain where our pride is so that we recognize the pride. So that we can see it. He's giving us this information so we can see it. Years ago, I sort of inherited, it's a long, long story, but I got a very cool Nike jacket. It was a white jacket with an American flag in the back, and it was actually wore by the Olympic athletes in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And uh, I got a hold of it, it was really cool, I liked it. And then I got a big stain on the white part right here on the sleeve. And you know, it's possible for something to be dirty, but you don't really recognize that it's dirty. But once it's stained, that's all you see. And whenever I would wear the jacket, I'd try to wear the jacket and tuck the sleeve, you know, like this, so you couldn't you couldn't see it. And and uh, but everybody who knew knew, no, no, there's a stain on that jacket. And I got tired of walking around funny like that, so I eventually just threw the thing away because it was stained. You knew it was dirty. You knew where it was dirty, and it was very very obvious to all who observed. That's God's purpose for this text tonight is to show us a picture of pride, to show us really what pride looks like and how it can be identified in our lives. Some background here, he's talking about the city, the island city of Tyre. Verse number one, the burden of Tyre. Now, Tyre is in what we would know today as modern day Lebanon. So it's just north of the nation of Israel today, of what is today Israel. It's north of that. And uh, it was later on besieged by the Assyrian Empire. We'll talk about that even as we preach through the text. On a 13-year siege, they besieged the, the island, and they, they couldn't really get out to the island initially, and so they were trying to starve it out. But uh, uh, Tyre was really noted or known for this. It was not a political force. It was not a military force. It was not a religious force. But it was an economic force. It literally was the Walmart before there was Walmart. And you don't believe me, notice if you will, look at the end of verse number 2. The harvest of the river is her revenue, and she is a mart of nations. Everybody made their living off of Tyre. Tyre was the vacation destination. Tyre was Branson before Branson. Okay, let me rephrase, because we like Branson, so let's not preach against Branson. Tyre was the Vegas before Vegas, all right? It was where people went to, to exchange goods, to, to buy and to sell. And though there were several people that would go to Tyre, there were several people who would make their 
financial well-being from Tyre. The city of Tarsus was one of the major people that would go there and uh, uh, do business with the country or with the city nation of Tyre, this island nation of Tyre. So let's look now at our text at how God begins to reveal pride in this island city of Tyre. We're going to kind of do the same thing we've been doing throughout the week, and that's just preaching as quickly as we can through the text and then seeing what the Lord has for us in terms of application. First of all, Tyre was warned that judgment was coming. Tyre was warned that judgment was coming. Verse number one, the burden of Tyre. When something starts off with the burden of Tyre, Isaiah chapter 23, Isaiah chapter 23, when somebody starts off with the burden of Tyre, you understand that what's coming isn't good news. No, it's not good news. And he says, the burden of Tyre, how ye ships of Tarsus, for it, referring back to Tyre, is laid waste. God is revealing that he is going to judge the island country of Tyre, that judgment is coming. Can I say, the Old Testament is full of warning of God's judgment. The New Testament is full of warning of God's judgment. Yeah, that's why I don't like the Old Testament. That's why, because I don't like all that hellfire and brimstone stuff. You understand that warning of judgment is actually grace. Judgment is judgment. Warning of judgment is grace. That God would warn us that there is a consequence coming and that there's a repercussion coming and that we want to avoid the repercussion. That's why God is warning us. And so God was warning the, 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 the nation of Tyre, the city nation of Tyre, that judgment was coming. And he tells them, no, 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 no. There, there is coming a time when God will deal with your sin. Can I say, there is always coming a time when God will deal with sin. That God will not restrain himself forever, but there will come a time where he will be forced to deal with their sin. Next, we find in verse number four that the, the island nation of Tyre was very much at ease, very much comfortable. Verse number four, Be thou ashamed, O Zidon, for the sea hath spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, nor, nor, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. The, isle, the island there was very comfortable. It was very at ease. There wasn't, there wasn't major problems. Sometimes we think of this, when God warns that judgment is coming, that there's already significant issues in terms of, of obstacles and problems, et cetera, et cetera, that exist. No, no, no. It's possible for God to tell us judgment is coming while there's money in the bank, cars in the driveway, roofs not leaking, kids aren't arrested, everything's are going well. Come on. We get this idea sometimes that judgment means uh, uh, that when God pronounces judgment, things are already falling apart. No, no, they're not falling apart in the island uh, nation of Tyre. Things are going very, very well. They say, I travail not. I don't even have to work hard to accomplish what I accomplish. I don't have to work hard to have what I have. By the way, it's hard not to think of America as you read this passage of Scripture and you think this, because most Americans don't really have to work hard to have what we have. Come on, we're a very wealthy nation. We're pretty comfortable. I don't think any of us are going, oh my goodness, how am I going to eat this week? Now we complain when we go to the grocery store at Biden, I mean, at inflate, I mean, I mean, I mean, at the cost, I mean, I mean, we complain a lot about the things, but we still buy the things. Come on. We think we're suffering because we don't buy steak anymore. Now we buy chicken. We travail not. No, no, we don't have a whole lot of work to do. We don't have to work really, really hard. And then they even said they're so busy in commerce and so busy in their businesses that they they don't bring forth children, neither do they nourish up young men nor bring up virgins. Uh, the family took a back seat to their economic affairs and how comfortable things were and how good things were. Things are sitting pretty uh, for the nation of Tyre. Uh, they, are, they have been warned, and yet they're very, very comfortable. Verse number five, we hear something bad about them. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be sorely pained at the report of Tyre. God says, what happened to Egypt is what's going to happen to you. If you don't like what happened to Egypt, you're not going to like what happens to you. 
Anytime in the Bible you're being compared to Egypt, it's always a bad thing. Come on, Egypt is a picture of the world. Anytime you and I are being compared to the world, it's a bad thing. Our amusement shouldn't be like the world. Our, our entertainment shouldn't be like the world. Our attitude shouldn't be like the world. Our philosophy shouldn't be like the world. There should be a distinct difference. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Much of the book of Leviticus is really about, as we've been preaching through in our Sunday school department back home, uh, about being separate and being different. And listen, there are some things God wants us to be different because it's more like Him. There are some things God wants us to be different because He doesn't want us to be like them. God wants us to be separate and wants us to be different. And he's telling them, listen, Tyre, you're, you're, uh, I think, I think the, the theological term is you're fat, dumb, and happy. Things are going well. You, you're comfortable in where you're at. You're comfortable in what's taking place. But if you'll think back and hearken back to what happened to Egypt, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. Listen, you and I get in a world of hurt and, and, and we're, we're placing ourselves in great peril and problems when we look at how God has judged other people and we think somehow he's going to judge us differently than that. No, no, no. God's not going to judge Egypt one way and then us a different way. If we're acting like Egypt, we should expect the punishment of Egypt. And if you don't like what happened to Egypt, you're not going to like what happens to Tyre. Because he said it's the same report from the one to the other that's going to happen. Verse number 6. We find that they're a little indifferent. Verse 6. Pass ye over to Tarsus. How ye inhabitants of the isle. You go, that seems, I don't see where you get indifference there. Well, here's was their plan. As they're being attacked, and as the island of nation of Tyre is being attacked, they go, if this doesn't work out, then we'll just go over to Tarsus. We've made good business alignments and, and agreements with Tarsus, and, and if this doesn't work, and this falls apart, no biggie, I'll just go over there. It's a, they're an indifferent society. They don't really care about, about their commitments. They don't really care what happens, because they've got backup plans upon backup plans upon backup plans. Come on, we live in an indifferent society. A car doesn't work anymore, we just throw it away and get a new one. Okay, that doesn't really satisfy. A marriage isn't satisfying us anymore the way we thought it should, or the way we think it would. We'll just throw it away and get a new one. Come on. Uh, we don't like how the church is going, what's going on in the church, what's taking place. And I mean, after all, there's a new pastor, and he's not like the old pastor, because if God wanted the old pastor to stay the pastor, the old pastor would still be the pastor. Anyhow, all right, okay. Um, and so we just, well, if I don't like it there, then I'll just go across town and go to the other church. And I, I mean, as small a town as this is, I found out there is another Baptist church in town. I don't recommend it. But anyhow, you can go over to the other Baptist church if you want to go. And that's where they were at. If it doesn't work, I'll just go somewhere else and do something else. Now, come on, that's our society today. That's our society today. If it doesn't work, if it's not about me, if I don't get out of this what I want out of this, I'll just leave and go somewhere else and start all over. It's not that big of a deal. Well, then, verse number 7. Now, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're hurrying through this. We're doing great. Verse number 7. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? He is addressing the city of Tyre, and he says, much of what you enjoy today is from antiquity. It's from ancient days. It's from previous generations. Much of what you have today, you didn't earn, you didn't develop, you didn't achieve. You're coasting on the merits and the sacrifices of previous generations. Okay, in my head I'm saying stay focused and don't preach on America right now. Because hold on. No, 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 no. Much of what's going on in America right now, in terms of what is still happening good in America right now, is because of previous generations and their sacrifices and their godliness and their efforts and what they did. And, and, and we go, well, look, we're still, I mean, we're still having freedom and we can still afford things. We can kind of, we can still do things. We still enjoy life. I mean, things are good. No, no, no. In a lot of ways, we are, we are uh, uh, coasting on the efforts and the energy of previous generations. Would to God that not be true of Valley Avenue Baptist Church? No, no, no. You can only coast on previous generations' efforts for so long. 
And there is a need for this generation to sacrifice so that the next generation can exist and have the same freedoms and opportunities that you have. Pastor told me today, uh, I believe this church was started in 1681 or something like that, uh, about 400 years ago. I, I could I could be off a year or two on that, I'm not sure. But uh, 1881, was that... 1819, 1891. That's amazing. Uh, the sacrifice that has gone into this building, the sacrifice that's gone into this place to live here. I guarantee you there were pastors that went without paychecks and there were there were deacons and Sunday school teachers that cleaned the church and, and kept things going when there wasn't pastors here. And previous generations made sacrifices so you could be here. And he's warning them, no, 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 no. Don't think you've achieved a lot. You just happen to be standing on the shoulders of great men. And it's been said this way, you're standing on the shoulders of tall people and pretending you're tall. It's what really the city of Tyre was doing. Well, we read on, verse number 8. Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants, so now he's talking about the people who deal with Tyre and the people who are around Tyre, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the honorable of the earth. The people who had business to do with Tyre weren't your regular average day Joe. It was the uh, Hollywood crowd. The Bel Air crowd, the Rodeo Drive crowd. Years ago, I took our, our youth group was in California, and we went to Rodeo Drive, and we're taking pictures, you know, on the little sign that says Rodeo Drive, and, and there's all the Gucci and Prada and all that, and they won't let you in the store. The store's locked. You have to bu be buzzed in. And when you're standing there with a bunch of teenagers from trailer parks in Fort Collins, Colorado, they're not going to let you in. They're just like, we're not open. We're, we're not open. And you step back and somebody else walks up wearing Gucci stuff and they, they buzz them in and we just went in right behind them. And uh, so we, we showed them. And uh, anyhow, uh, uh, that's what this was. He, he's letting them know the people who do business here, the people who, who are around Tyre are the, the princesses, it says. And then it says the honorable of the earth. It's kind of the upper crust. You know, if we're not careful, we kind of can get this attitude. God judges the down and outer, but He doesn't really judge the upper crust. Either. So come on, even, even today as we drove around town, it was very, very obvious. This is the nicer side of town. This is the, the not as nice side of town. This is the elite side. This is the, the poorer side. And we can have this mindset that God judges those who do wrong who are poor, but God doesn't really judge those who do wrong who are rich or affluent or and don't get me started on America and the, the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself and nobody's been arrested from any of... Come on, I, we can... This passage lends itself to conspiracy theories and preaching some, some, some awfully interesting things. But anyhow, we'll just, we'll just stay focused. You know, God judges everybody. Well, you don't understand. My great-grandfather started this church. Praise the Lord, but God judges everybody. Well, I'm a deacon in this church. Praise the Lord for that. God judges everybody. I'm the pastor of this church. Praise the Lord, but God judges everybody. I, I come from an affluent society. We're fine. We're not, we're not part of the, the, the down and out crowd. Well, God doesn't just judge the down and out crowd. God judges everyone. Verse number 9, we know that they had a problem with pride because he directly says it. The Lord of hosts hath proposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. He says, I, 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 my goal, my desire is that you would know and that you would see and recognize your pride. Verses 10 and 11, he tells them that he's going he's to tear down their strongholds. Pass through thy land as a river, O daughter of Tarsus. There is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord hath given a commandment against the merchant city to destroy the strongholds thereof. All of us, and I would assume this would be true of ladies, but I've never been a lady, so I'm somewhat conjecturing on that one. 
we have things that we take pride in in our ability. Um, maybe as a man, you take pride in your mechanical ability. You take pride in your hunting. You take pride pride in your athletic prowess. You take pride. I take great pride in my hair. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you laugh. I don't know why you laugh. God will judge you. God will judge every last one of you for that. We take pride in various areas and various things that we think we excel at, and and it, it kind of becomes it becomes a way of defining us. We're defined by that. Well, I'm I'm really good at, at, at cars. I'm I, I'm really good at hunting. I'm I'm really good at having guns. Maybe maybe we get defined by our families. Particularly particularly the ladies might say, Well, I'm defined. Uh, I have a great home, and I, I have lovely children. I have great grandkids. I'm I'm defined by this or that. God says to get your attention, and so you recognize who you are, and more significantly, so that you recognize who I am. I'm not just going to judge you. I'm going to tear down the very stronghold, the very thing that you take the most confidence in, the very thing that sort of defines you as being you. I'm going to attack that to get your attention. Now, that's scary to me. Because um, probably the thing that I, at this point in time in my life, would be the most known for is what I'm doing right now. I would hate for God to take away preaching from me to get my attention. No, no, during COVID, he did a little bit. I mean, I still got to preach, but I preached to an empty auditorium. And, and uh, uh, we were allowed 10 people at a time at our church uh, uh, during the COVID shutdown. And so we would rotate 10 people in every, every service. And uh, one man felt guilty for me. And so he came in and he, he, made, he painted cardboard pictures of everybody in our church and where they normally sat in our church. And I came in one morning, to, and I'm just walking in the auditorium to my office, not paying much attention. All of a sudden, I'm like, what in the world? And there's all these pictures of the people in our church in the pews, but they're just cardboard cutouts. I mean, that was, thank you, Brother Randy, all right. That was, that was awesome when he did that. But wouldn't it be a shame if to get us to humble ourselves before God, God had to take away the thing that we appreciated or defined us the most to get our attention? No, God knows your stronghold. When I was in high school, I, uh, I had a rock come down on my arms, and, and uh, uh, both arms were in a cast. This arm was in a cast from here down to these two fingers. You can still see the scars in the back of my hand, cut the tendons of these two fingers, it cut the artery right here, blood was pumping, I ripped the bicep loose from my arm, and, and uh, I had, this arm was in, in a cast like this. And I, I, I didn't hear an audible voice. God doesn't speak to me that way. God doesn't speak to you that way, by the way. Uh, uh, but God told me, try dribbling a basketball now. H how cool do you think you are now? No, no, I went from thinking I was all that, the only freshman on the varsity basketball team, uh, uh, to going, I, I can't even change myself. I can't feed myself. You know what God was doing? God was staining the power of my glory. He was staining, he was pulling down my stronghold. He was, he was letting me know, no, 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 no. I, I love you too much to let you be defined by anything other than me. Come on. And so he was attacking the stronghold. Well, in verses 13 and 14, we're then given specific sort of instruction on their destruction. On, on what's coming and, 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 and how it happens. Verse 13, Behold the land of the Chaldeans, this people was not, till the Assyrians founded it for them that dwell in the wilderness. They set up the towers thereof, they raised up the palaces thereof, and he brought it to ruin. Howl, ye ships of Tarsus, for your strength is laid waste. So he tells us here that the Assyrian Empire comes and they build towers, they build bulwarks against the city and they, they attack the city and they, they, uh, they come against the city. But regular warfare would not work. And so now the rest of this portion of, uh, of this principle actually comes from history, not from the Bible. So it's, it's historical context. But the island of Tyre is exactly that. It's an island. The 
text calls it an isle, and uh, it's there just off of, again, uh, the, what is now modern-day Lebanon. And so uh, the uh, Assyrian Empire, as they came, they did not have the ships needed to attack Tyre. So they were able to get to the coast, they were able to get to the edge, but then they couldn't get out to Tyre, and so almost it was this kind of this odd thing where, you know, Tyre, like little kids, like little brother or little sister standing behind mom, going, you can't get me, you can't get me. And so they, they were, there was this standoff that existed, and Tyre felt very comfortable, very safe, very secure, because the Assyrian Empire could not get them. Well, history tells us that one day, I'm embellishing here just a little bit, as my imagination would do, uh, uh, you're the island city of Tyre, and you're looking over at the Amalekites, and perhaps you're making fun of them, and somehow, VeggieTales, kids watch VeggieTales, the, the, the Jericho and the people on the wall making fun, that's just what I picture here, I know, I'm so juvenile. Um, if you don't know what that is, you just totally lost you, but that's okay. If you know what that is, you're finding that hysterically funny, because you're, you're thinking it too, and they slap with fish. Anyhow, all right. So you're watching the, the, the Assyrian Empire come, they're standing there, and then you go, what are they doing? And one day, you just see the nation of, of the Assyrian Empire, and, and one of them has a rock, and he just brings a rock out, and he goes, and you're like, what an idiot. These guys are so frustrated, they're so mad they can't get to us, now they're throwing rocks in the ocean. And then you notice that they get kind of a, a little supply chain working. And they're passing a rock, and passing a rock, and passing a rock, and passing a rock, and that guy chucks it in the ocean. What are they doing? Day after day, they're chucking rocks into the ocean, chucking rocks into the ocean, chucking rocks into the ocean. Well, you're going, okay, I know what they're doing. They're building a land bridge. They're trying to get out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes 13 years. It takes 13 years of throwing rocks into the ocean before they're finally able to get across those rocks to the island. It is now, to this very day, if you look up Tyre on a map, it is no longer an island, it is a peninsula. It is a, it, there, there is a land bridge that goes out. It is, no longer, it is connected to the main uh, uh, island there, of, or to the mainland, mainland of Lebanon, because they built this, this water, or this land bridge out there. It took 13 years. Could you imagine, for 13 years, you're watching destruction come? No, come on, for, thir for 13 years, you're like, how close did they get today? Well, they're, they're not getting here this week. They're not getting here this week. And maybe early on you're like, they're going to quit. They're going to they're quit before they get out here. I mean, that's a long ways. That's a lot of work. They're going to quit before they get out here. It's, you know, and then six years go by and seven years go by and eight years go by and ten years go by. And by the time you're probably at 11 or 12 years, you've got to be thinking, no, 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 I wonder if it's this year. You, you recognize judgment is coming. No, no, and they're not coming for tea and crumpets. When they get there, they're going to wipe you out. When they get there, they're going to destroy you. When they get there, they're going to annihilate you. And so here comes the Assyrian Empire. And for 13 years, you watched it little by little by little by little by little by little by little. I, I can imagine this without even seeing it. And yet, I have seen something similar to this. A few years ago, we were, we were in Israel, and there is a... A, a place outside of the nation of Israel down by the Dead Sea. It's up on a hill. And the, the fortification uh, where they rebelled in 70 AD, the people who rebelled then eventually against the Roman government went there. And they lived there for years and years and years. And the Roman army could not get to them. And eventually the Roman uh, army started trying to bring rocks. And when they would bring rocks to build up, they would throw stuff down on top of them. And so then they started bringing the Jews out, relatives of people up there, and having them bring the rocks. And Jews believed if you killed a relative that you couldn't, uh, uh, God would judge you in the afterlife, and so they wouldn't throw rocks down. And so it took like six years until they built it up to the top, and they were able to come in and destroy the fortifications, and they ended up committing mass suicide before the Roman army got there. 
but I, I, can, I, I can vision this because I've seen that. For 13 years, they watched out. They, they marked uh, uh, that destruction was coming, and yet nothing happened. Verse number 15, now we see in just a half a verse how destruction comes. Verse number 15, And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten seventy years. So verse number 13, he brought it to ruin. Verse number 15, that Tyre shall be forgotten seventy years. He goes, once they get there, the Assyrian army eventually got there, and they uh, eliminated Tyre. Many people fled, uh, but those that were there were killed. And the island nation, the island city of Tyre, was completely wiped out. By the way, if I didn't mention it before, I don't think I did. They're of the tribe of Asher. This, this was in the, in the uh, uh, people group of the tribe of Asher. Uh, they're of the nation of Israel. And so Tyre is, is eliminated. They are, they are wiped out. They are destroyed. And it's summed up in one verse. Hold on. When God finally has enough, our destruction really can be summed up in one verse. It's not going to take God very long to deal with our sin when we won't deal with our sin. So they're gone. And then we see something amazing here. We see grace and mercy. What do you mean we see grace and mercy? Reading on in verse number 15. Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years according to the days of one king. After the end of 70 years shall Tyre sing as an harlot. Take an harp. Go about the city, thou harlot. Thou hast been forgotten. Make sweet melody. Sing many songs that thou mayest be remembered. Now, we see the word harlot, and we, we naturally kind of hone in on that. And we're like, oh, that's pretty... What he's saying is uh, a harlot is someone who is very verbose, somebody very flamboyant, somebody that draws attention to themselves. Come on, that's, that recognizes a prostitute. That's, that's how they would do that, was, was behave in such a manner. Don't get me started on... Never mind, we'll just stay focused on the text. Okay. And so he says, after 70 years... So Tyre is gone. After 70 years, God allows them to come back. God graciously allows them to come back. The inhabitants of Tyre, the people of the tribe of Asher, come back to the island nation, now no longer an island nation, but they, they come back. They're allowed to go there. And he says, sing like a harlot. Uh, play the harp. Be loud and boisterous. Make yourself known that you're, that you're back and you're, you're back in the land. He says, I know your behavior and God has graciously allowed you to come back and you're going to come back loud and make sure that you're always remembered because you feel like you've been forgotten. Verse number 17, after a time, we don't know exactly how long, but after a time, God comes to check on them again. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass after the end of 70 years, the 70 years they were gone, that the Lord shall visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her hire, and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. Okay, so for 13 years they watched judgment come. Judgment finally comes. They're wiped off the, 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 the island. For 70 years they're gone. Now they're allowed to come back and restart and have a clean slate and a fresh, a fresh opportunity. And, and, and not long after that, God comes back to check on them and they're doing exactly what they were doing before they were judged. They went right back to doing the exact same thing they were doing beforehand. But what's the purpose of the text? The purpose of the text is to stain the pride of our glory. To, to show them their pride. So just, just, just quick review. Isaiah is the human author. Isaiah preaches to them and warns them, and they don't change. Isaiah presumably is a pretty good preacher. God gave him like the longest book in the Bible. Probably not because he's a bad preacher. They don't change. 
God directly tells them they have a problem with pride. And they don't change. God warns them they're going to be judged and they don't change. God lets them see destruction coming. Literally, slow motion suicide. For 13 years, they see destruction coming. They don't change. They get destroyed. They get judged. We'll, we'll, we'll use a, a term we should be familiar with. They get spanked. They don't change. They go into destruction. They're in other nations. They're in other uh, uh, kingdoms. And then God graciously, miraculously allows them to come back. Mercifully allows them to come back. They don't change. And then after they're in the land, they go back to doing the exact same things that got them taken out of the land. They don't change. Here's our, our statement of the message tonight would be this. Could it be that a picture of pride is that no matter what happens, no matter what's preached, no matter how much grace or mercy is given, we won't change. That the very definition of how to look at someone and assess pride, how to look at ourselves and assess pride would be this. That no matter what happens, no matter what's preached, and no matter how much grace or mercy is given, we refuse to change. Let's make some application. I talked to Pastor and I were talking today, and it's, it's funny when pastors talk. The names change, but the stories are very similar. The names change, but the story, I mean, it doesn't matter, big town, small town, I mean, uh, 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 Hispanic people, white, I mean, people are people, people are people. And so we're, we're, we're sharing stories, and, and uh, uh, it came to the time where we were sharing stories of, uh, uh, without names, without names, not gossiping like that, uh, although sometimes we were, um, <laughs> where people were complaining about their life. We're complaining to us, to as us as pastors. Well, my marriage is bad, or, or my kids are, are, are bad, or uh, uh, the situation is untenable. It's just not working, and and so they come to us, and we go, okay, here's what the Bible says you should do, and they go, but I'm not going to do that. And you're like, okay, hold on, let's review. Your marriage is bad, and so you come and you want counsel because supposedly, from what you see, my marriage is good, and my marriage has problems just like everybody else's has problems, but. And so you come and we give you biblical counsel, this is what you have to do, and you go, no, I'm not going to do that. That's pride. No, 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 no. You can see what I'm doing is not working. You, you can see destruction coming. You can, come on, you can see divorce coming. You, you can see the problem coming. You can see that charting your current course is untenable. If you keep going down this direction, it's not going to work out. And you can see it. You can, you can see it in your kids. Hold on, hold on. You can see your kids already starting to get into trouble. No, no, most of the time when I talk to parents, I go, well, my kids are honor roll students. My kids are the quarterback of the football team. My kid uh, plays the band. Uh, and all that's wonderful and great. But do they love Jesus? Come on, do they have a heart for God? Do they have a heart for the things of God? Well, no, I mean, they don't. I got to drag them to church or I got to bribe them to come to church and they don't pay attention to church. They want nothing to do with church. You can see, hello, you can see that when they're 16, 17, 18, it's going to be major problems unless God gets a hold of their heart. You can see that there's a problem. You can see it's not going to end well, but you do nothing about it. Pride. Come on, that's pride. Well, who are you to judge my kids? No, no, I'm not judging your kids. I'm saying oftentimes it's the parents who are coming to me saying, uh, uh, help with my kids, but then when you talk to them about what to do with their kids, then they won't do it. They won't do it. They won't, they won't change. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on. It happens in marriages. There's discontentment. There's, there's disillusionment. You're, you're no longer passionate with one another. You're no longer intimate with one another. You're two strangers living in the same house. 
Come on, don't look at me like I'm crazy. I'm, I'm making stuff up, and, and this has no bearing in, in Fall City, Nebraska. People are people in Fall City, Nebraska. And you know that there's problems, and you know that there's issues. But you don't want to deal with the issue, because to deal with the issue, you would have to admit that there's a problem. You'd have to come clean with your problem. You don't really want to do that, and so you don't do that. And so even though you can see that there's major problems coming down the path, you do nothing about it. You do nothing about it. You do nothing about it. That's the picture of pride. No, you may not strut, you may not wear a fancy suit, you may not drive a fancy car, you, you may not flash your wealth or something out there for all the world to see, but that is the very picture of pride, even if you're dead broke. It doesn't matter what happens. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens. Some of it is it's financial. You can look, you're spending yourself into oblivion. You go, why are you preaching on finances? Because I've typically found people who get into massive debt don't tithe. Come on. And then the curse of God is in their life in addition to not tithing or in addition to being massive debt, excuse me. You can see it coming. You can, you can see that we're, we're consistently spending more money. Come on, as a nation, let, let, let's talk about America instead of us. Okay, let's talk about America instead of us. Because it's easier. It's easier with other people. We're consistently spending more money than we make. Can, can we see that it, that's eventually going to become a major problem? Come on, and we can see it happening. I remember just a couple years ago, people were like freaked out. We are $17 trillion in debt. We can't, we can't do the new budget. We can't, we're $17 trillion. We can't. Now we're $33 trillion in debt. And if you, if you talk about unsecured liabilities like Medicaid and Medicare and all those kinds of things, Social Security, we're more like $70 trillion in debt. That's a lot of money. But what's America doing about it? Nothing. Nothing. Now let's take it from America where we can all agree and get mad together and let's focus on it on us. You're spending more money than you make. Come on, you're spending more money than you make. And you don't think that that's eventually going to be a problem? Pride. It doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter what's preached. It doesn't matter what's preached and it doesn't matter how it's preached. Pastor and I were talking again today about how we try to vary our, our styles of how you preach. And sometimes you preach in a narrative, which is a story, or, or sometimes you preach inductively, which means you don't let people know where you're going until it's too late and you trap them, you know. And then, uh, and then you preach deductively where you just lay out the case in the beginning and then you kind of prove it throughout. And there's all kinds of different styles of preaching. And then there's, there's different methods that you would preach, actually. I mean, some where you try to be like super funny and get everybody laughing and then sucker punch them when they're laughing. And then that's kind of my style. That's typically what I do. And, and, uh, or there's, there's some kind where you just right from the get-go, I mean, you get all red-faced and, and the vein bulges in your, in your forehead and you're just like, and everybody's like, man, he's mad at the world. And you know, you're just you're going, going to town and you're yelling and screaming, maybe you're going to jump up on a pew. And I, I think I'll do that at some point in time this week just to say that I did it. And uh, um, I don't really do it at home. I did it, I did it, I've done it a few times at Calvary. One time I did it, it was kind of funny. It's just story time with Brother Park. And uh, Miss Georgia Thomas, she was 88 years old, and uh, she was sitting there on the second row. And when she left, she goes, that was a good message, son. That was a good message. Um, if I could tell you, I think you're trying just a little too hard. I think you're trying just, just a little too hard. And I was like, ah, thank you, Miss Thomas. She's in heaven now and uh, still helping me out with my preaching. Anyhow, uh, the preacher can cry. Oh, come on, the preacher can cry and, and, and beg you, and, and the preacher can bring in uh, guest preachers. And, and I know you've had, you've had guest preachers, and, and Brother Rodney Woodcock's been here, and, and uh, Brother Ben Moore was a great preacher, and, and your pastor's now even getting opportunities to go out and preach. And, and uh, uh, I've heard of Dave McCracken. I don't know if he's been here. Brother Bill Marshall, I'm sure, has been here up here preaching. And, and you, you've you brought in all kinds of different preachers with different styles. Come on, if you bring in Dave McCracken, you, I mean, you're desperate. You're bringing in weird stuff at that point in time. 
and, and, but it, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, hold, hold on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the preacher yells. It doesn't matter if the preacher's funny. It doesn't matter if he preaches expository, if he preaches topically. It doesn't matter if he, if he cries. It doesn't matter if he gets red-faced. It doesn't matter if he's long. It doesn't matter if he's short. It doesn't matter if he's funny. It doesn't matter. You don't, you don't, you don't change. You don't change. And it's not because we don't need to change. Lastly, it doesn't matter how much grace or mercy has been given. It doesn't matter how much grace or mercy has been given. I'm 46 years old. I've been at, at Calvary Baptist Temple for, for 21 years, and, and the last 14 years as, as, the, as the pastor, the first seven were as, a, as the associate, and been in ministry 25 years. And the other day I was just thinking, I was thinking this, how many times I've done something stupid in ministry that God bailed me out of? So that was my topic. I'm driving, I'm like, you know, and I'm like, okay. And then I'm laughing. And then I'm crying. And then I'm like, Holy cow, God, you've put up with a lot. I mean, stupid stuff. Like our youth group bought a bus, bought a coach bus. Our youth group raised $10,000 and bought a coach bus. It lasted four days. Bought it, on a, bought it on a Saturday, broke down on a Wednesday. Blew the engine on it. Sold it for $1,500. Again, young people aren't good with math. That's considerably less than $10,000. God bailed me out of it. How did he bail me out of it? We had a business meeting at the church. And by the way, I had asked the church to help us buy the bus. And the men of the church had said, the teenagers want a bus. The teenagers should buy the bus. So we bought the bus. Then the bus broke down. Then they invited me to a business meeting. And I'm like, oh, great. It's going to be like you know a public flogging for the park. For... And one of the most tight-fisted men you'll ever meet in your life, Andrew Atwood. He's in heaven now, so he's, it's not gossip. He's listening. He pulled his mortgage out of his pocket and set it on the table. And he goes, those kids need to go to camp in a coach bus. And if we have to mortgage my house, we're getting them a coach bus. And another man pulled his mortgage out and laid it down. And another man pulled his mortgage out and laid it down. We ended up mortgaging the pastor's house. It was great. <laughs> that was God being gracious to me. Come on, that was, that was, and that's a funny one. Because I don't want to tell you the personal ones. I don't want to tell you the bad ones. Where I really did stupid things and God, and God bailed me out. Come on. You know, there are things I did in Bible college that got other kids kicked out. God was just gracious. I wasn't. Now I've really got you curious about my Bible college days, don't <laughs> If we're honest and we look back in our lives, there's been hundreds of times where God could have lowered the boom and instead he gave us grace and mercy. And we went right back to doing what we were doing before he gave us. The picture of pride is that no matter what happens, no matter what's preached, and no matter how much grace is given, we don't change. So here's the application of the passage in the Bible. When was the last time you changed? What is that supposed to mean? That's not a complicated question. When was the last time the Word of God, whether in your personal devotions, whether in, in, in preaching, whether in, in some interaction somehow through, through even listening online, whatever it is, through some interaction with God's Word, the Holy Spirit of God convicted you that you were wrong in a given area and you said, I need to change, and you let God change you in that area. When was the last time? First of all, in the area of salvation. Listen, it, it doesn't matter how long you've come to this church. It doesn't matter if you're, your, your grandpa started the the the... the Republican chapter of, of the GOP in this in this county. It doesn't matter. When did you get saved? When did you repent of your sin? 
if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When did you decide to do that? When did you change? No, when did God change you? Well, Brother Park, I'm saved. I've been saved for a long time. I can tell you when I got saved, how I got saved. Okay, when's the last time God significantly changed you? It's not because you don't need it. Hello. It's not because I don't need it. Come on. So when was the last time we changed? When was the last time we go, you know what? That television show is wrong. And God's convicted me about that, and I'm not going to watch that show anymore. And you just stopped watching that show. You just, you just got rid of it. When was the last time God convicted you about, about a standard? And, and you go, you know what? I, I shouldn't wear that clothes, those clothes. That just, that, that just doesn't work right. It just doesn't reflect Christianity. It just doesn't. No, no. Oh, because the pastor got after you. No, 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 no. It's because the Holy Spirit of God got after you. The Word of God got after you. God, God taught you. And you're like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And the truth is, many of us could look back in our lives, and we can go days, we can go weeks, perhaps we can go months, and perhaps we could even go years before we could point to a discernible difference and change that God affected in our lives. And can I tell you, that's not because it's not needed, it's because it's pride. It's pride. When was the last time you stepped up in your Christian life? What do you mean stepped up? We had a guy in our church, love him to death. Love him. Everybody I'm talking about today is dead. This is bad. Um, he's in heaven. He's, he's, he's the best church member I've ever had. He's the best church member I've ever, ever, ever had in my life. And he always, he was a financial guy. And so we always dealt in percentages. And there were times he'd come to me and he goes, but park of a sudden, he said, uh, uh, God's convicted me, God's convicted me. I'm going to up my giving, I'm going to up my giving. And he would say, I'm going from 11.8% to 11.9. I mean, like, he, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but he was convicted and he, he, and he knew, he knew. If you go, if you asked him, he said, Brother Gleb, when did you go from 11.8 to 11.9? He'd be like, oh, that was in March. When did you go from 11.7 to 11.8? Oh, that was in December. I mean, he, he, he knew. He had it down. When was the last time you stepped up? Well, a tithe is only 10%. Yeah, it's a tithe and an offering. If you're only giving 10%, you're not really doing what God's called you to do. You're supposed to give 10% plus an offering. You just had your missions commitment. So this is a little bit late, but, you know, I think pastor will take it. Um, you go, well, I just do what I always do. Well, isn't that great? Aren't you glad your, your, your work does that? They just pay you what they always pay you. Like they never give you a cost of living increase. They never give you, and, oh wait, that's sarcasm. No, you do have a problem with that, don't you? When was the last time you stepped up in your giving? When was the last time you stepped up in your Bible reading? Brother Park, I read two chapters a day every day. One chapter in the morning, one chapter in the evening. Period. In the discussion. Well, good. I mean, that's way better than most. Truly, that's way better than most. When was the last time you stepped up? When, when was the last? You see, the difference between changing and not changing is the difference between pride and humility. Pride says, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need to change. One last thing, and this is, we're truly done. Verse number 18 is kind of interesting. And her merchandise, so this is after she comes back, after she's a nation again, after she's back on the land, and her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to the Lord. It shall not be treasured nor laid up for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. You know what God says of the island nation of Tyre? What becomes just take a landmass of Tyre? God says, after I put them back in the land, and they go right back to doing what they've always done, go right back to being how they've all, always been, go right back to not changing, I'm still going to use them to provide for my people. But I have no relationship with them. You might be sitting here and like going to the park. If, if, where's my destruction? 
Where is my, my, my family falling apart? Where are my kids falling apart? Where is my finances falling apart? Where is my judgment? Where is my destruction? If what I am doing is so bad, where is my judgment? Why would I even be here on a Monday night in a revival meeting? And to that I would answer, just like the, Tyre, the, the city of Tyre, God says, no, 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 I will have no relationship with them, but I'm going to use them to provide for my people. God may say, okay, I'm going to let you come back, and I'm going to let you coast. I'm going to let you sit in church. I'm going to let you stay the same. I'm going to let you do your thing. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to help provide for the next generation of young people uh, in Falls City, Nebraska. And we're going we're gonna to use you in some different ways. But we're not really going to have a relationship. Why? Because God refuses to have relationship with prideful people. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. How proud they The very picture of pride, the very definition of pride, is that no matter what he said, no matter what he's done, and no matter how much grace is given, we won't change. When was the last time God said change? And you said yes, sir. And that'll tell you where you're at with your pride. God put a big old stain on it. So we can see. Heads bowed tonight. Eyes closed. Lord, we love you tonight. And I, I don't want to preach in such a way that would ever question, Lord, whether or not people do love you, whether they have a heart for you. Lord, in many respects, there'd be no reason to be here tonight without some desire to please you. And yet, Lord, it's very possible that we can just get caught up in the routine. We can get caught up in going through the motions. We can get caught up in, in who we are, Lord, and, and really as Americans, just being contented and comfortable, blissfully unaware of just how wrong we really are. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help every believer in this room to, to search their heart, to, to search their past and see when was the last time that they, that they made a noticeable change? When was the last time that they, they said, no, my attitude towards my wife is wrong and they, they, they let you work on them and they, they had you forgive them and they, and they changed in their, in their attitude towards their family, Lord, their attitude towards their church, whatever it is. Well, may we not tonight just stay the same. May, may we not come into church and, and hear the word preached and, and be confronted with what pride is and then just walk out, Lord, with not having a good answer, without having a good answer as to, as to when we've changed and when we've let you deal with issues in our heart and our life. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. Lord, help us in these next few moments. Lord, there, there may be marriages that hang in the balance. There may be, Lord, destruction, future destruction that could be avoided. We've just fixed some things tonight. Let you fix some things in our life tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand tonight.